At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a great guest in line for you today, Dawn Mansky. Dawn, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you. So good to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm ecstatic to have you here. And, and um, you know, I, I'm going to say I'm excited to have this conversation, but I think listeners, once we get into it, they'll realize that while I am excited to have this conversation, there is some some gravity behind it because we're going to be talking about some fairly serious uh, topics here, but very important topics. And to that note, what I want my listeners to know about Dawn uh, is that uh, she spent 10 years living in China and while there visited orphanages full of little girls that taught her about the horrors of trafficking. After getting to know the children and teens that had been victims of human trafficking, Dawn knew she had to do something. And her dream now is to help rescue and restore trafficked people. And that dream started with a pair of pants. And we'll get that story as we go through this uh, conversation as well. But uh, she said, if there's any way I can help girls like this by selling pants, I'll sell pants. And this increased her understanding of using solid ethical business practices to create systemic social change. And I just love that. You know, and it was that journey that really led to her beginning Made for Freedom. And uh, that's that's what we're going to talk about here today is is that journey and that business. And I'm going to start off this conversation where I start all of my guests. Dawn, with all of your experiences, with all of that that we just talked about, when you hear the phrase responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? You know, it's it's an interesting thought and i have i have been in a lot of different roles as leader but right now that really resonates as a business owner and someone making the decisions around a retail business because one of the things that i talk a lot that i talk about often is the business model and people People understand a lot of different business models. Ours is a little unique and people try to figure out, you know, as, as people are asking about made for freedom, they say, Oh, do you do this? Oh, do you do this? And they're trying to, they're trying to figure out, okay, what category do I put you in? But our business model is completely driven by our supply chain. So it's not really about the products. It's about how are we changing lives by providing dignified employment? And that is kind of the key thing. And I, we've taken it to an extreme, I would say. 
you know, there are a lot of businesses, there are a lot of consumers that have grown accustomed to the give back model. So I, the business owner, am going to sell this thing, this widget. I'm going to sell this widget and I'm going to give some of the money from the proceeds to this cause. Okay. And that can be great. That can be a really good business model. And it really has changed consumerism in the way consumers look at things because they realize I can buy this thing that I want and I can help. Where that breaks down is when you don't know about the supply chain. Mm -hmm. So for example, this is, this is my favorite story about this. I was, um, I was at work. I was in the office of a previous job. And one of the ladies that I worked with, her daughter died from breast cancer and her daughter was Mm -hmm. a friend of mine. So a friend of mine and this woman, a coworker, her daughter, that is also a friend of mine and a coworker, were, were affected greatly by breast cancer. And the mother brought in this catalog with all of these products. And all over the catalog, it said, helping provide research to fight breast cancer. Now, do I, do I want to see an end to breast cancer? Absolutely. So I'm flipping through the catalog and I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is a powerful catalog right here just because this woman lost her daughter to this, but this was a friend of mine. This has impacted so many women around the world. Yes. Let me look through this, see if there's something, because I want to be part of the research that's going to end this. Well, I find a scarf. Everything's pink. I like pink. I like scarves. It's a, it's, it's more money than I normally spend on a scarf, but because it is going to a good cause, I'm willing to pay more money. Right. Right. So I order the scarf and it was one of those things where you order it and it takes a week or so to get in. Okay. That's fine. I'm waiting. I'm in the, I'm in the, the break room a couple more times. I'm flipping through the catalog orders been placed and I just kind of keep looking through it all over you know, money is going to help research to end this. And then at one point I see the teeny tiny print and it says 0.05% of the money is going to this research. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? 0.05%, not even 1%, not, not like 0.1, like 0.05. Are you kidding me? And then, but around this time was when I was starting getting things going with Made for Freedom and I'm learning about the fashion industry and I'm learning about exploitation and I'm learning about all these things. And it was, it was really, it was near that time that there was that uh, warehouse, the factory that collapsed in Bangladesh, Rana Plaza. And over a thousand people died because of these sweatshop conditions. These people who were getting paid hardly anything, they're getting paid poverty wages, which leads to generational poverty, which is one of the main things that makes people vulnerable to exploitation. But they're making all of this stuff and shipping it to the United States so that people can sell it. And I was so hacked off and I was like, okay, you're not talking about your supply chain. How do I know where this scarf comes from? How do I know that this wasn't made in a sweatshop? Like if, because if this scarf and you're given 0.05%, you get this, you get this scarf made in Bangladesh at a sweatshop and you're paying 50 cents for this scarf and you're charging me $40 and you're given 0.05, you know, I just, I was like, okay, if you are sourcing your thing, whatever the widget is, if you're sourcing that unethically because you get a better deal, you get a better price, people are working ridiculous hours, getting paid hardly anything, but you get a great deal. So your margins are amazing and you're giving money back. You're still part of the problem, even if you're giving back because that supply chain is driving people into poverty and making them vulnerable to exploitation. So 
that was a very long story and a very long explanation to say, as a business owner, as anyone who is selling things, whatever your thing is, if you're not paying a fair wage, if you're not providing good employment for the people making your thing, you're part of the problem. Yeah. So make good choices with your supply chain. Yeah. No, I think that is a, a critical piece. I mean, and, and I, I believe that th- that is something that we've really seen exposed over the last 5, 10, 20 years is the, the, the sweatshop labor. You know, uh, Apple has been hit over the head with it. Uh, well, I, I'll just pretty much every major manufacturer uh, out there. Nike has been hit over the head. Uh, Apple has mentioned uh, a lot of tech uh, and, and people are becoming a little bit more aware of it. But I, I, I like your example. And it's sad because, you know, I've seen that happen being a veteran uh, in the veteran community quite a bit. You know, they'll there'll be this company comes out with this uh, uh, with this case that, you know, has a wounded warrior project on it. And, and I ran into the same thing Now it wasn't quite as bad as 0.5%. Uh, but it was something like uh, it, it was something like 20% or something. And, and when I did the math on it, which 20% is good, but when I did the math on it, it came out to be like, you know, spending, spending $40 on this item. Once you looked at everything, cause it was 20% of profits, not 20% of the item sale. By the time you looked at all that, it was like, you know, a dollar for this $40 uh, item, whereas I could just send them a check for $40 uh, Mm -hmm. and and do much better. Um, But I want to kind of back up in your story here a little bit, because I think a lot of this is really fascinating and kind of set things up uh, for listeners because trafficking is, is, you know, a a pretty, pretty intense topic right now. We're starting to see a lot more signage of what to do and what to look out for in, uh, in shopping centers, in airports and things like mm-hmm. that. But I kind of want to go back to, to the beginning uh, of your story. So uh, you were in China. What, what took you to China and then what kind of got you to visiting these orphanages and kind of exposing yourself to the fact that this was happening? You know, I, uh, I was in college and I just, that was about, I remember watching the news and seeing people my age demonstrating. Um, And that was, that ended up being the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Mm -hmm. And I was just drawn. And I was like, I have to, I need to go to this place. And I, I felt like God was calling me to go. And I was like, okay, well, next summer, I guess I'll go. And I went over for a summer and I studied Chinese and I went back after I graduated from college. And I was like, okay, if this is where God wants me, this is where I'm going to be. And I went over as an English teacher and was just able to learn a lot about the culture and make some amazing friendships. And while I was there, just some some good friends of mine, actually a very good friend of mine, he organized these trips to the orphanage nearby. And we would go on Saturday mornings and just go and love on these kids because there were so many orphans in this country that had restricted the family size to one child. So Mm -hmm. the boys definitely being the priority, the girls were often abandoned. And the girls ended up in the orphanages. And so there were just, they just were swamped. They had far too many orphans. The little, the little ones were tied to their chairs most of the day. And when, but when we came, we got, they got out of their chairs and we were able to play with them and we took them to parks. You know, we just, we were able to love on these little ones. And that was a really powerful thing. And later I just, as I was did as I was digging into what are the, what are the reasons people end up in human trafficking? One of the things that is, that makes people very vulnerable is devaluation of the girl child. And when you have a culture or society that doesn't value girls, their value, they are born and seen as less valuable in 
the, the eyes of the community. So that makes them vulnerable immediately. So learning about devaluation of the girl child, that was how I kind of witnessed devaluation of the girl child. And another, another situation that really impacted me was years later, I was still living in China and there were these street kids. So there were these kids on the street, they were always begging or they were trying to sell me a flower or something, but they lived on, they, from what I could tell, they lived on the streets. But then I met this other woman and she helped me understand. She explained it to me. She was like, oh no, these kids came from small villages in the rural part of China where poverty is almost unbearable. Like poverty is extreme. And these men and women bosses go into the villages and they build relationships with the people and, and build trust with them so that they can say, Hey, I see you're having some financial difficulty. I see you're having a hard time feeding your children because in the rural areas, they were allowed more than one child. And then the present, then the offer of, I can take your child to the big city and they can make a lot of money. They could get a job in a nice restaurant. And when you don't have enough food to feed your family, a job in a restaurant sounds amazing, you know, and, and they'd give them kind of a down payment and they go, Oh, we'll give you some money. This is just a little bit of what they're going to be making and they can send money back to you and it's all going to be good. Well, these bosses would take them to the big city and use these kids basically as slave labor. And the kids were sent out about three o'clock in the afternoon and they had to stay out begging, you know, washing windows, cleaning shoes, doing whatever they could to make money to bring it back to the boss at about two o'clock in the morning. So that was kind of their work shift and they all lived in one apartment and, um, I'm sure that there was sexual abuse going on as well as physical abuse and for, you know, all levels of abuse because these kids were basically used as slave labor. So that poverty piece was, that's another key indicator of vulnerabilities. And when you look at what makes people vulnerable, we're all vulnerable to some level, to some extent. And there are always people that are willing, that are experts at identifying and willing to take advantage of those who are vulnerable. And those, those that end up with layers and layers and layers of vulnerability, those are just the easier ones to get. And so those, those things really taught me a lot. And it was years later, I came back to the United States. I was in grad school and I saw a video of an undercover reporter who went into the back streets of Cambodia and he was asking for the youngest girls that were available. And I'm watching this video and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how, how is it that we live in a world where little girls are growing up like this, where there are people who want this, And there are people who are providing it because what they did, they took this man, they ushered him back into this little, this little community, I guess, I don't know, through this building and they took him into a room and they brought, I don't know, maybe eight, eight to 10, seven, I don't know, seven to 10 girls aging in range from maybe seven to 13. Mm. And they just ushered these little girls in and they basically said, okay, what you can choose. And here's how much you have to pay for oral sex. Here's how much you have to pay for this here. And, Mm -hmm. and I just, it just broke my heart and turned my stomach and weighed on me. And I thought, okay, this isn't, this isn't just the kids that I met on the street corners in in China. This is a global thing. And I think that really was the moment that I was like, this is a horrible atrocity happening around the world. I need to do something. So that was a, that was a big turning point for me. Just watching that video and going, Oh, okay. What am I going to do? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just I'm sitting here, you know, kind of shaking my head as, as you're telling the story because it's, you know, it, it's it's bad enough that that this thing happens, right? But but and, and you kind of hit it on it there, really at the end. It's bad enough that this happens. You you can kind of understand the family in poverty thinking that they're doing something better for their child. Uh, but when you, you get to that end of it, when you get to the exploitation piece and especially the, the sexual exploitation and, uh, of human trafficking, it's like, it's like with any business, the business doesn't exist if there's not a customer. And so the fact that there's customers for this is probably just as, if not way more appalling, uh, a piece here, because it's like, who, who goes searching for those services you know i'd right. like to think in your video example there that this person was doing it as an investigative report and wasn't actually going to look for these services uh but yeah it's just like if there's no customer this doesn't happen right right and you know it's that's you point out a good thing to remember this is this is a business this is an industry it's an illegal industry yeah it is the fastest growing illegal industry. It's probably the number one. It's probably the largest. For a while, it was kind of teetering. It, you know, the top three are arms trafficking, human trafficking, and drug trafficking. But because human trafficking has just continued to grow, and with the numbers, they're they're looking, the numbers have changed drastically in just the past few years. So right now, when I started Made for Freedom, the numbers were, the estimates, no one knows exactly, right? This is all right. kind of underground behind the scenes. It's really hard to get good numbers, but the best estimates were about 27 to maybe 30 million people were in, were victims of modern day slavery at that moment. Okay. Well, that bumped significantly. It's at about 40.3 now because they start, they incorporated another group and that is like the child brides and the girls that are sold as brides. So Mm. it's a very similar, you know, it's somebody's benefiting by through force, fraud, or coercion to, to force this young lady to marry someone that, you know, and girls are being sold across borders, girl, you know, people are buying brides and that, that category has now been added into the umbrella of human trafficking. So that number jumped up pretty significantly a few years ago, but it is, it's an industry and you have the supplier, you've got demand and it just, it just keeps growing and it keeps, it keeps growing quickly. But yes, to answer just a comment in there. Yeah. This was a reporter and no, he did not buy anything, but he had a camera on him and it's just to kind of show this isn't an unusual question. These guys have received this question before, because if you walked up to me and said, hey, where are the youngest girls available? I'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, picking I, up the I phone to call the cops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so so that, that was a huge moment in my understanding, really. And so then... It, that was just, a, that was, it just weighed on me. That's the, that's the best way I can describe it. I'd be in a conversation with somebody and when they started complaining that they didn't have the latest smartphone or something, I just would get irate. And I would be like, you don't understand problems. There are little right. girls being sold for sex. Like every, con- it was almost like every conversation came back to that. And I just, it was I was so sensitive to everything because I had not figured out how I could get involved. I, you know, until I had an outlet, until I figured out this is how I can help fight this atrocity, it weighed on me. And it was, I was just hypersensitive to so many things. And 
it was, you know, I'd, I'd hear conversations and I would, I just would have to leave the conversation instead of going, are you kidding me? This is not, you know, and I just thought, okay, Don, calm down. You're just right. leave the, <laughs> you need to, you need to figure something out here, Don. Um, so fast forward a little bit. I met this, I didn't meet, I re-met like after eight years and 10 years of not seeing him, I ended up at a dinner with this incredibly gracious young man. He's three years young, three months younger than me, but he was really nice. And so I married him, but there's the short story. And for our wedding, this wonderful man bought me a pair of sandals that I had hinted very strongly about. And the reason I was so enamored with these sandals was the story behind them. And it was the story of a social enterprise. And it was a group that was working with this, a group of marginalized women, very difficult situation. And without the jobs that they had making these sandals, they would not be able to continue high school. Like in their, in their culture, you had, you took a break, you took one year off between middle school and high school. And if you didn't make enough money during that year to go to high school, you were not going to high school. And typically the boys got the jobs first. So the girls were left without jobs available, without a job, without the money. So their education stopped. Hmm. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I love this. So these sandals really kind of gave me a new vision for social enterprise. I'm like, okay, here's a business that's doing really amazing things and changing lives, changing the way culture sees women, changing the future prospects for these women. So yeah. that it was, I got these sandals. And then another wedding gift that I got was from a friend of mine who came to the wedding, but at the time she was teaching in Thailand. And while I was living in China, I had gotten a pair. I visited Thailand while I was living there. And I got a pair of these fisherman pants from Thailand and loved my fisherman pants, loved my pants. And so when my friend was coming from Thailand, I was like, oh, would you please bring me some of these pants? I can't find them in the United States. And I love them. So she brought me several pairs of these pants. And what do you think I was wearing the first day of my married life, leaving for our honeymoon? Probably those pants, right? I was wearing my new pants, of course. <laughs> so... I'm wearing my new pants. I'm wearing my new sandals. I'm married. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm going on my honeymoon. And we're going through the airport and a TSA agent comments on my pants. She's like, oh my goodness. I love your pants. Where'd you get those? And I'm thinking, uh, Thailand, uh, you know, that thanks. <laughs> you know, strange. I don't right. usually get comments on my pants from a TSA agent, but I'm telling you, we got on the plane and the flight attendant commented on these pants and we were on our honeymoon. We would, you know, we'd go to someplace. That was the beginning of months of people going, oh my gosh, I really like your pants. I literally had a woman chase me through a parking lot to, to ask me where she could buy pants like these. And I was like, okay, there is something going on. Nice. People, total strangers are coming up and asking me about these. I know I love these pants, but obviously these pants are catching some attention. So my whole, my whole thing was, I, I don't want to sell pants. Like that's not what I want to do with my life. I, right. I want to, I let, I enjoy helping people. I love serving people, but I kind of, you know, the combination of, okay, these pants are way cool. You can't get them in the United States. Hmm. What if these pants could be the foundation of a business like the social enterprise that I saw that's actually helping people, not exploiting people and not just selling stuff, but really driven by creating change and providing dignified employment from, for women and men coming out of these incredibly vulnerable situations and those who have been rescued from sex trafficking. Mm. And I was like, okay, if there could be a business model that does that, and if they had these really cool pants, I could totally do my life. I mean, I could see me spending my life doing that. I would sell pants. So 
that was, that was just, that was, gosh, that was about 10 years ago. So it's been a while. And I will say for any of the listeners out there that are like, oh my gosh, I got to see these pants. You can see the pants if you go to our website, madeforfreedom.com, and you go, if you look around and how we got started, that's, I think that's the only place you're going to find the pants right now because, well, one thing we did, we took the pants and the original pants from Thailand were kind of really baggy in the back. And I thought, mm-hmm. if we're selling these to Western women, we need to kind of change the style. We need to make them a little more flattering. So we changed the style. And I thought, well, since we changed the style, I probably should change the name because it's really not the original pant anymore. We've changed it. So we looked for a name that would work well and represent what we were trying to do. So we came up with Crea Belly, which is taken from creating a beautiful life. So we started with these pants and my first partner that I reached out to in Thai, which was convenient because I knew human trafficking was a big issue in Thailand. So I reached out to some friends of mine who were there and I said, (laughs) it was like the most random email. Like when was the last time you got this email? So do you know anybody working with survivors of sex trafficking and teaching them how to sew? (laughs) I, I love that. I love that question there. And, and, and I tell you what, before we finish that story, uh, we got to take a quick break here to to uh, fulfill some of our sponsorship obligations. Okay. But I tell you what, I think that's a great spot to come back on the other side of the break from. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break here and then we'll be back on the other side of this with Don Mansky and we'll figure out or find out the response to that email. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, listeners, so we're back again. We're with Dawn Mansky with Made for Freedom. We've heard in the first section here uh, the story and, and her kind of aha moment and this email that you sent asking uh, someone if they uh, knew anybody who worked with uh, survivors of, of uh, trafficking. And and I'm very curious, what was the response? <laughs> I sent it to a couple friends of mine. And one mm-hmm. of them, sure enough, responded and said, oh, you need to connect with this woman because she has, they have a sewing program for survivors of trafficking and for marginalized women. Mm. And I was like, that is exactly what I need. So that was our first partnership. We worked with them. They did a fabulous job with the pattern um, and they gave, a, they did some bags for, they did several different items for us. They did several orders of pants and it was, it was great. So that was the beginning of Made for Freedom. We got, we got, a, we got started with those and a couple other products because while I was, while I was starting this, I thought, you know what? I really don't understand the issue. I need to understand this issue better if I'm going to be, if I want to help, I need to understand it a little bit better to be a better person to represent this. So I went on a two week trip to India with a team of people just learning about sex trafficking. What are the, what are the things that lead into it? What are the elements that are needed to help with restoration, with rescue, with reintegration? What are, what are all the pieces that make up this beast of an issue? And so that was really helpful. And during that trip, I met multiple people. I, I met the leaders of organizations that were providing rescue, providing these safe houses, providing life skills, job training, but also providing jobs, making things. And so 
for example, one of the, one of the places we visited, they made t-shirts and they were working with women coming out of a red light district in Kolkata, India. Mm. And this particular red light, just one of the red light, red light districts that they were working with has over 11,000 women being prostituted out. And they are on the edge of that and they work with ladies coming out of that red light district. They teach them how to read and write. They teach them how to sew. And then they give them jobs and they're making a good wage and they're in a safe place. And so just during this two week trip, learning how powerful it is to provide dignified employment for someone in that space. So making more connections, making learning about it, understanding it better, figuring out how I could be part of it. Well, after a little while, so we start with more partnerships because I don't really understand this. It's a, it's a foreign concept to me, but there are some people that don't like the pants, which (laughs) I'm like, wait a second. How could you not like these pants? But the thing was, I'm like, but you know what? It's not about the pants. It's, it's about dignified employment. It's about changing the lives of these women with what with providing a good job. And so it wasn't that we dropped the pants. It, it was a very two-edged sword, let's say, because I got an email from the, our initial partner. They were making the pants. They were doing a great job. And the director sent me an email and she said, our ladies are getting the most wonderful opportunities to further their education and start careers which is amazing. Like that's what we're looking for. And then she continued and said, and we are no longer sewing. I was like, Oh, that stinks. (laughs) So, Mm. So right now we, we have started the relationship with a new group that's working with survivors in a different part of the world. We have, we have, we've started down that path of getting, a supplier for the pants. But in the meantime, and like I said, this started 10 years ago, we started carrying product in 2014. So we're almost at 10 years of having product. But since that time, we have, we continue to carry the t-shirts from that center that I met on my very first research trip. We have connected with about 15 other centers around the world. And we have bath and body products. We have baby stuff. We have products made by refugees and immigrants from Burma and Nepal who now live in the United States. We have products made by survivors of sex trafficking in the United States. We have products made by marginalized artisans in India, survivors of trafficking in Cambodia and Thailand and Africa and China. And I'm missing some of them, but you get the idea. This well, is this I, is a global issue, and well, it's and that's what I was everywhere. getting ready to. I I don't mean to interrupt, but I just yeah. wanted to make sure that the listeners like like keyed in on that. The fact that there are so many of these places that you are forgetting to name some of them should be a key indicator of how prevalent, widespread, and invasive this issue is, and that is tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's. It there there are places where the numbers are just staggering, you know, because when when I'm talking about the vulnerabilities, if you're in the United States, we don't see poverty or devaluation of the girl child the way it is seen in other parts of the world. I mean, let's just be real. Do we have poverty? Yes, we do. Do women still have do we still get paid less? Are there still inequalities? Yes, but we do not understand it the way some cultures do. And we do not see poverty the way some cultures do. So, but what, so I get, there are a lot of people who are like, okay, well, but what's it look like in the United States? Cause everybody, and rightfully so, like what's happening in the United States? How do, how is this happening in the United States? We're, it's still vulnerabilities. You mm-hmm. still have people who are vulnerable. You still have procurers. You have perpetrators that are experts at identifying those vulnerabilities and taking advantage. And then you have exploitation. And you, you know, so what does it look like in the United States? Though some of those vulnerabilities, one of the, 
one of the greatest vulnerabilities we have is very similar to where we started the story. And that was with orphanages in China. Mm -hmm. Kids in the foster system in the United States are so vulnerable because one of the main vulnerabilities is lack of support from friends and family. So whether that is a true lack of support, which would be true of a kid in the foster system or a kid that's living on the streets, you know, and whether it's a true lack of support or even if it's perceived because every teenager, how many teenagers go, my parents don't understand me. (laughs) Every one of them, you know? And so it's, we, there is that perceived, oh, my family doesn't care about me. My family doesn't support me. And then there is reality. There are families who don't care and don't support, you know? So the, the lack of support from friends and family, that objectification that can happen in culture when there are people who think, oh, well, women are only good for this. That makes that woman vulnerable because of the yep. attitude of someone else or a culture or a society. So there, there are so many things that can make us vulnerable. And, and it is, it's happening. It's happening everywhere. Yeah. Sadly. I mean, as you were mm-hmm. talking, I was thinking back, uh, you know, I've lived uh, on on the uh, west side suburbs areas of Indianapolis now for uh, going on a dozen years at this point. And I can I just went through probably about six or seven uh, scenarios that have happened in the Indianapolis area in that in that last 12 years or so that there was at least a high likelihood uh, that that these women were abducted and sold into to human trafficking based off the, the evidence in the investigation. And th- these were uh, women who had people that cared about them. These were people who were abducted from uh, grocery stores, from parking lots that had people that reported them missing. And I'm sitting there thinking if, if it's only six or so that, that had people that cared about them, that, that missed them, that reported them, how many of these kids and, and even young adults, uh, are going missing and people don't even know because there's nobody there to care about them. They, they've ran away from home. All these issues that, that you've mentioned here, they felt like nobody cared about them, whether that's true or not. And nobody's just there to report it. And so these folks mm-hmm. just slip into oblivion, never to be seen again. And that, that is, that is just a scary prospect for, for anybody who cares about other human beings to know that that goes on to, to hear Dawn's statistics and, and uh stories about folks that she's dealt with like that should that should keep you up at night and and thinking about i like this this social enterprise because we see that popping up a lot more lately i know my wife and i we love watching shark tank and they've had people on there similar stories but you know with uh uh what was hammocks and socks and all this other good stuff and 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 the thing i like about it the key piece there is it's not just hey we're going to we're going to feed the problem by buying these products. I like that you are solving the problem uh, and, and, and giving these, these ladies um, employment and a chance to move up. And, and I like the fact that you were happy that you kind of put a supplier uh, essentially out of business because you mm-hmm. helped them do something better. And, and that is great. That, that is a great social purpose. And I, I really love what you're doing with all of this. Thank you. It's uh it is, it's, it is interesting because so many people, they, they hear we're fighting human trafficking. We're, you know, our tagline is we fight human trafficking with style. And, and there's this misconception between business and nonprofit. Right. And people assume, oh, well, if you're a for-profit, you're just in it for yourself. And I'm thinking that's the beautiful blend of social enterprise, social, you know, we, we have traditionally seen nonprofit as, oh, they're, they're doing good things in this world. They're the do-gooders, but I can go over here into the business world and I can make lots of money and I can give money to the do-gooders. That's how I'll do good. And it's like, no, let's do a blend. How about we do business ethically? How about we do business in such a way that we're that we're providing for people and the planet and we make profit. And, you know, when people and there are some people and they just they get so 
pretty much flustered when I say, no, we're not a nonprofit. We have a nonprofit arm and we raise awareness and we do things, but providing dignified employment is the mission of this business. And they just, there's a whole lot that we need to learn about how to do business well, how to lead well, and how to combine this doing good and doing business. Yes. And, and, and the key is that they can, and they should coexist. There's no Mm -hmm. reason why they can't. And you're, you're proof of that. And again, I I love your business model. I love what you're doing. I love the mission. Um, And I I love the fact that we've been chatting here for, for almost 45 minutes at this point. And Dawn, (laughs) it has been, it has been amazing. It's been eye-opening. Uh, I, I love your story. I love the journey. Uh, I love the passion that comes through. Um, just kind of curious, like we covered a lot of ground here, but is there anything that you really want to leave listeners with before we get out of here today? Absolutely. The thing that the thing that I have found, which I, it took a while talking to customers and talking to people, but I, I'm not unusual. I'm not unique in that I learn about, I learned about it and I wanted to do something like I meet people all the time. They're like, Oh my gosh, this is really cool. How can I help? What can I do? That's if you learn about human trafficking, the chances are pretty good. You're gonna be like, Oh my goodness, what can I do? Because it is so horrible. Um, and so I kind of point to three things and I have a page and I'll, I'll send that to you so you can put it in the show notes, but it's madeforfreedom.com podcast dash download. But on that page, I have a few links and I, I really look at three different levels. So there's one, which is identify. And my question there is if you were out in a shopping mall, or you're at the airport, or you're just walking down the street and somebody next to you or someone right around you was a victim of human trafficking, would you be able to identify it? And so I've put together this PDF that you can just download for free and it has red flags that it just kind of lists off. Here's some things to look for. If you see this happening, if, if you can identify the red flags, if you can identify the risk factors you might be able to step in and help. And then it's kind of, because with my story, like when I was in China, I saw what was going on with the orphans. I saw the street kids. It was later that I started to understand. And I really had to get some understanding so that I could help more effectively. And I have a, I have a training that I do. It's called the Five Key Components of Exploitation. And that's available on there as well. And that's just a video that you can download that I go through and I dig into the vulnerabilities. We've talked about that a good bit today, but the vulnerabilities, the procurers, how can you identify them? What does exploitation really look like? What does rescue and restore look like? And then return and reintegration. So I dig into those five key components but then that next thing, so you can identify it, you understand it, but then take action. And these, there are so many ways to take action. You can advocate, you can share information, you can, you can help provide dignified employment. And I would point you to a really amazing website called Made for Freedom, but you know, because every piece, every item that we sell is the result of dignified employment. And it's not that if you buy it, then these, these survivors will get paid. They've already been paid. We are providing good jobs. The more we sell, the more jobs are created and the more dignified employment. So, you know, purchase something, advocate, host a deep fashion event. We have a package where you can invite people into your home and you can say, okay, let's sit and watch this training. Let's learn about this. Let's not just, I want to learn, I want to understand, but I want to help people around me understand this better. Because if we all get in this, if we all are able to identify and we're understanding it better and we're all taking action, we're just going to we're going to make a dent in this 
industry that's the fastest illegal industry in the world. Mm. I love that. Well said. And and thank you for sharing those uh, websites. I'll make sure that those get into the show notes uh, so folks can just go ahead and, and click the link and get right there. Um, again, I love it. I love what you're doing. Uh, I love that, that you're sharing this information, that you're kind of shining the light on this. Uh, uh, my my uh, One of my inspirations for starting the podcast was a gentleman named Jocko Willink of the Jocko Podcast. And he, he always said that, uh, you know, you, you've got to shine a light to, so people can see that there's darkness in the world. And, mm. and and I think that's that's what you're doing. You're shining the light so people can see that there's this darkness out there because until it's exposed, people are, are, are just going about their daily business, not necessarily meaning to not care, but they just don't know. They don't know that it exists, so they don't know that they should care about it. And and your organization and, and everything that you're doing is is really filling that gap of the education piece. So so as you said, when people know, they they can't help but care and want to do something. So Dawn, I just want to say thank you for everything that you're doing with the mission, everything you're doing with uh, Made for Freedom. I really appreciate it and really appreciate you shining that light so people know that this darkness does exist. So thank you for for taking up that mantle and being a great guest and having a great conversation with me and my listeners on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Earl. It has been a pleasure, and thank you for allowing me to share my story. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening, and if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.